Hello, everyone that's just joining now. I'll just wait uh, a few minutes because uh, we are literally about 10 seconds over half past nine UK time, depending on whereabouts in the world you are. Shannon, thanks for asking a question at this stage. What we'll do is we'll save some time for some questions at the end. Hope everyone's okay. Ted, can you hear me okay, bro? You okay? I sure can, yes. <laughs> good, my friend. Yeah, it's been a good week, mate. I've actually I'm at my sister's house at the minute and she's decided to invite her friends over. I best be careful what I say because I've got her boyfriend recording this downstairs so I can put it on Spotify and YouTube. So I better not say anything out of order. No, she decided to throw a party. So I'm up in the spare room with my mic and my headphones and this, that and the other. So there you go. But I'm just going to wait a minute because there's still a few people bouncing in last minute. But I'll start where I always start. So for everyone listening today, we're joined by... My guest today, and welcome to the live version of the Cyber Security Recruiter podcast. Ted Harrington started his career back in 2001. He was the founder and chief executive officer of W. Harrington Ventures. Ted also went on to be president at YGen from 2009 to 2011. He was then co-founder of a company called Build SD Pack, and that was from 2009 to 2012. He was also the director of a company called Wolfpack, and that was from the year 2006 to 2012. He was also CEO of NMG Technologies from 2011 to 2012. He's also, and this is a, a position that Ted currently holds, he's also the co-founder of the IoT Village. He's also, and again, this is simultaneous, he's also a professional keynote speaker and has been since 2012. He's been doing that for well over a decade. And he's also a best-selling author very famous title called Hackable, How to Do Application Security Right. That's been available for around about three years. He's currently also the co-founder of Start Vendor Risk Management. And he's also the executive partner of independent security evaluators. Ted, welcome to the show, my friend. How are you doing? I'm good, man. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Good. No worries, mate. That is one hell of a, uh, a professional kind of w working history, mate. I'm really excited to have you on. There's loads to unpack and uncover. I've done you an intro there. I never think I can do it as well as you. If you don't mind, we'll start where I always start, which is who are you, mate? And, uh, and what have you been up to career-wise? And, and what are you up to at the minute day to day? Sure. Yeah. So I lead a group of ethical hackers. That's what I do. I've been in the hacking world for a little over 12 years now. And our company is called Independent Security Evaluators. And we hack stuff. We publish it as security research or work directly with companies to help them find vulnerabilities in their systems. As an extension of that research that we published, that's where the book Hackable came out um, that you had mentioned a moment ago. It addresses the common misconceptions that organizations usually have about how to think about building better, more systems, how to think about penetration testing and stuff like that. And yeah, we started some other companies related to that pursuit of that ethical hacking mission, but this is what I've dedicated my life to. 
Brilliant. Thank you, Ted. And guys, listen, for those listening now and for those listening when this goes out on, on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Pods and Podcast Addicts, this next question that I'm about to ask Ted about traits and what makes up a highly successful hacker in today's market. And for those of you, I'm sure many of you are, but for those of you that aren't aware, Ted did a TED talk on ethical hacking, which is obviously a, a massive deal. And it's all about what makes up a great hacker and various different things. So this is a question I ask a lot of guests, but Ted, I feel like it's extremely relevant when it comes to yourself. But what traits make up a highly successful hacker in, in, in today's world, bro? I've been studying this question for some time now and observing it, just observing the people who work for us, observing the people who I get to spend time around in the hacking community. And I've really realized that the mindset of a hacker sort of falls into really four primary buckets. And then within those buckets, there's some like subgroupings. But the four primary mindset traits of hackers, as I've identified through observation and through interviews, is that hackers are curious. Hackers are very committed to the mission. Hackers are creative. And hackers are non-conforming. And what makes a hacker really successful is the combination of those four ideas. And there's other words we could use to describe those concepts, but essentially those are the concepts, right? Hackers are willing to look at a situation differently. They're willing to challenge assumptions. They're willing to approach something in a completely new and unexpected way. They're willing to invest the time and the money and the effort, the resources. They're, they're willing to be persistent over a long period of time. And because of those attributes, and I'm happy to go into all of them in detail if we want, but at the highest level, that's the summary is that by combining those four things, the more strengths that a person has in those four areas, the better they are going to be as a hacker. And I've even been starting to think about that in terms of how do people who aren't hackers, how can we be thinking about those mindset traits in other aspects of life? And that's an aspect of the conversation we can we can take down that bunny trail as well. But those are the, the four big things. Hackers are curious, hackers are committed, hackers are creative, and hackers are non-conforming. Ted, the answer is we will definitely be unpacking that. I'd really like to. So yeah, look, straight away, I'm thinking, which is, my import, which is most important? How do I refine those skills? How do I get better? Um, tell me more. So there's loads of questions popping into my mind, and we'll, we'll definitely unpack that. And one thing I, I, I want to bring up Ted is when we were chatting before you you were talking about gratitude and you mentioned a few bits about your daily routine and I always think kind of success isn't an accident and you just mentioned a few things about you practice gratitude and you do this you do that and you strike me as well I know for a fact because I've some some stalking on you a bit of recon but you're the type of chap that's into self-help, looks after yourself, takes success seriously. I can see why you, you, you've done well. But before we dive into those four things, have you got any tips for on the self-help front for people listening that perhaps know they need to be doing more on that front and looking after themselves better? Any thoughts on that at all, my friend? Oh, definitely. This is uh, <laughs> I'm glad we're talking about that. That's a major passion of mine. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I did a I did a self-assessment many years ago of myself. And I realized that the kind of things that really rev my engine that get me excited are chasing these like really big, really hard things like running a co- starting companies, running companies, writing a book, giving a TED talk. Like these are things that they take a tremendous amount of time and effort. They're really hard to do. 
they're absolutely worth doing, but they just, they're hard. And to me, that's what's appealing about them is that they are hard, not in spite of being hard, but because they are hard. And once I realized that about myself, and I imagine that the kind of person who's listening to this type of conversation probably has some of those attributes too, right? If you're listening to a podcast because you want to learn new ideas and get stronger, you probably are, are growth oriented. And so you probably also are chasing things that are meaningful and big and difficult. And one of the things that I learned, so I started you know, reading about that. How do you chase, how do people chase big goals? How do people sustain that? Cause it's so draining, uh, especially things that are big and hard have so many obstacles and setbacks. And it's, you feel like you're getting, you're losing 99 times just to get the one win. And I realized that the key to those big goals and those big wins is self-care. And I know that's the idea of self-care has become like maybe talked about and popularized in recent years. And, and I'm glad for that because it's now more of an accepted thing, maybe Many years ago, maybe it wouldn't have been as cool to be like, oh, I need to take care of myself. It's because it sounds in opposition to what definitely plagues America, but I think is bleeding around the world too. This like grind culture. We got to work. We got to no sleep. And <laughs> so for me, the practical things that I do that help me pursue big goals sustained over a long period of time, number one is commitment to routine. Mm -hmm. So like having the things that help you physically and emotionally and spiritually. So those might be things like in the morning, I practice gratitude, I journal to understand how I'm feeling. I exercise, I stretch, and I do something cognitively demanding. So those are the things that I prioritize before I go deal with the minutia of you know emails and all the stuff that the day throws at you. I make sure I'm doing all those things. And uh, that is, I think, the key to how you can sustain pursuing big goals over a long period of time. Thank, thanks, Ted. That, that, that's really nice to hear. And also, from my own point of view, Matt, that, that's really nice to hear. And I think sometimes some of these things we know, some of these things we don't. It's just we need them reinforcing. And yeah, I, I could not agree more. I think it all completely and utterly starts with you. I've got a friend at the minute and, she, and she's struggling a bit. And I just said, just focus on literally exercising staying healthy and looking after yourself and you'll be amazed at, at how much drops into place but thanks for that Ted. i'm going to jump back now into the, the four things we mentioned in terms of how to be a mega hacker so curious contrarian committed creative so you can start wherever you want my friend but let's get down to it what's what's the situation can you break it down and tell us more yeah let's start with curious uh, and the reason I think we should start with the fact that hackers are curious is because literally every hacker I've interviewed on this topic, and I've been just talking to people in the field, every single one of them has said hackers are curious is the very first thing. So what does that mean? So hackers being curious, it is what it sounds like for sure, but that hackers are wondering how a system works. So here's the metaphor we can use. And I, one of the people that I interviewed shared this with me. I can't quite remember who, but I thought this was such a vivid way to think about it. So if you can imagine right now a, a Rubik's Cube. So a Rubik's Cube, if you're not familiar with it, it's that square that has all the tiny little colored squares on it and you twist it in certain ways and you hope you're, what you're trying to do is you're trying to get one side to be all the green squares and one side to be all the red squares and one side to be all the yellow squares. 
So that's a Rubik's cube. It's a puzzle. And Rubik's cubes are, they're complex and they're difficult to solve. And what a hacker does is when they, when a hacker looks at something like a Rubik's cube, the first thing they do is not try to solve the Rubik's cube. What they're usually more interested in first is how does a Rubik's cube work? What are the mechanisms inside this thing? How does, what are the gears? And then what's the sequencing that one has to go through in order to move a square, a colored square from one side to another. And so it's that sort of exploratory process of understanding how does a thing work? There's so many hackers that I've talked to who talk about when they were kids, they're the kind of person who would disassemble something, right? They might have a video game console and they're like, how does that work? And so they literally unscrew it. They take it apart and they see the pieces inside. And this is one of the th most defining traits of hackers is this idea of curiosity. And it drives so many other things like because they're passionate about it, they're curious, or maybe because they're curious, they're passionate. It's, it's hard to say what causes what, but this idea of understanding how something works is a, the desire to understand, I should say, is the thing that makes them really successful. And when I say hacker, by the way, we should make clear that we're differentiating there are good kinds of hackers and there are bad kinds of hackers, but the difference is motivation. Like ethical hackers, which is the world I come from, are motivated to improve systems. Attackers, which are the hackers that the news and the media talks about that are motivated by more nefarious objectives, but they're both hackers and they both all have these same attributes. It's just motivation that's different. But the desire to understand a system, to understand how it works, because once you can understand how a system works, then you can start exploring, how can I abuse the system? Or how can I make the system function in a way that it wasn't intended to operate? What are some assumptions maybe that the person or people who built this thing had about how someone might use this system? And where might those assumptions be flawed? And that's really the sort of where the, what the curiosity is about. It's about understanding the system, the guts of it, how does it work? And then where are the potential flaws in the assumptions about how that system should work? And then how can you abuse those? And like the hacker maybe way of thinking about if we go back to the Rubik's cube, right? They want to know how it works. Of course, then they want to solve the puzzle, but some hackers might even be like, what if I just take the little stickers off? Like, I take the red stickers <laughs> off I, and put them all on the one side. Okay, you're breaking the rules. You're not really living within the spirit yeah. of the game. Yeah. But that is a question that should be asked, right? Like hackers ask, what if? Hackers yeah. ask, why? Yeah. Hackers ask, is there another way? And that's what curiosity is about. Yeah, brilliant. But, but, uh, by the way, for, for everyone listening, I, I just think this is – the. I, I think the fact that you've, you've obviously spent a lot of time kind of – deciphering this dissecting this and just really working out what actually makes a good hacker because I, I interview guys and girls all day in my, in my job as a recruiter and obviously some people are outstanding and not being rude some, some people are not and we all have access to Portswick or Web Academy behind the box trying we all have access to the same internet and the same things in the same amount of time in the day so it is fascinating to hear how we can optimize our learning process how we can 
feel good about ourselves, how we can move forward and and progress in the right way. And just before we move on, Ted, so I'm right in thinking then. So if I'm running burp, I'm not just running burp. I'm wanting to actually understand the inner workings and how that's doing that. If I'm a, a red teamer and I'm using uh, Sliver or, or, or Posh C2, Mythex, I'm not just running those C2s. I'm actually wanting to really get into those frameworks and go, how is this actually working? It's really go, going deeper and not just taking kind of someone's answer or not just taking a, a tool doing something. You're actually just genuinely just want to dig deeper and deeper. Is, is that a nice summary for, for the listeners? Yeah, I think that is. And here's a way maybe we might illustrate what you're talking about. Yeah, the tools are an important part of the attack toolkit. And we absolutely should be using tools. But one of the mistakes that organizations make across the planet are that they think tools alone solve their problem. And in fact, they do not. You can't just run a scanner and all of a sudden your security problems go away. And the reason for that would be an example of something like exploit chaining. Now, exploit chaining is where an attacker or an ethical hacker combine two or more things in order to significantly increase the impact of a given vulnerability. So you might have two vulnerabilities that on their own, maybe have varying degrees of impact, but when you combine them, it's like all of a sudden catastrophic. And I can illustrate with an example. There was a project that we were recently working on and we found two problems on this particular tool. And one of the problems was called information leakage. And for those who don't know, that's when a system is giving up information that it shouldn't. In this case, it was giving up the user identifier. So any user of the application could get the user identifier of any other user. Now on its own, it's not that big of a problem. It's not even directly exploitable. You just don't want it to happen. The second issue was called broken authorization. Now authorization is a system verifying your permission to do something such as change your password. And when we say that the authorization is broken, what we mean is that it doesn't work properly. And so in this case, it had to do with changing your credentials. And so we've all had the experience, right? When you want to change a password and to change the password, you have to supply the current password in order to create a new one. And that is the way the system verifies your permission because you have the permission if you know the current password. So that's the way that permission modeling usually works for something like that. Now, this system that we're working on did require you to supply information to change the password, but it didn't require the password, the current password. It required the user identifier. Now on its own, that's not that big of a problem because it it is a problem, but it's not catastrophic because in theory, each user only knows their own user identifier. But when you chain these two together, what it means is that an attacker can now get every single user identifier because of the info leakage issue, and then use every single one of those user identifiers to change the credentials for that user, meaning that one single attacker could take over every single account in the system. And this included the admin and super admin type privileged users. That's the catastrophic worst possible outcome for Mm -hmm. a, a system like this. And the reason that I tell that story is to illustrate that is the kind of thing that results from curiosity, from understanding like, how does this system work? There's no tool, there's no scanner, there's nothing you can automate that would ever be able to connect those dots like that 
but a curious person who says, what if I did X? What if I did Y? What if now, because I've done X and Y, that means I could actually do Z. And that's what I mean when I say that curiosity is what makes hackers to be talented and tools alone aren't going to get you where you need to go. Thanks, Ted. That makes a lot of sense. And that's a good explanation. Ted, I just want to ask you this question. If I'm listening now again or, or, or in the future and I'm thinking, that makes sense. That's logical. I need to make sure my, my, my curiosity levels are just absolutely on fire through the roof. Is there anything I can do to to enhance that, to amplify it, to improve it, to check out where I am? Is there anything you do or particular exercises or anything like that? That is a great question. And one that I don't yet have an answer for. One of the things that I'm studying on this particular question is whether or not curiosity is something that's learned or is innate. And I've, of the research that I've done, there doesn't actually seem to be consensus on that question. Okay. So the way I've thought about this is there's nothing we can do if it's purely innate. Hmm. And so what's the point? So I'm operating under the assumption that it can be cultivated. So you might not inherently be curious right off the bat, but can you become more curious? And the closest that I've come to answering this so far, but this is an answer that is in development, is that I think humans are just going to be more curious about the things they're more passionate about. And so this is a very hippie, this dude lives in LA type answer I'm about to give you. But I think, <laughs> I don't know, man, I, like some of the stuff about living in LA, you, you catch yourself. You're like, wow, did that just come out of my mouth? But I'm going to say it. <laughs> Hey, man. Listen, like, I, I love it all. I, I think, honestly, I think it makes a difference, mate. I really do. And sorry, I, I'm interrupted, but it, I th honestly, it's like it ties into mindset. And it's honestly, I, I think it makes a difference to your career progression. But anyway, look, I'll shut up. Go on. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> I think we're going to be more passionate about the things that uh, resonate with our purpose in life. And I think a lot of people struggle with that. What is my purpose? What's my objective what am i trying to achieve and so i can't tell that for anyone else i can <laughs> i i think i do know it for myself but that has taken many years of introspection but i think we know if we're living closer to our purpose when we find ourselves becoming more curious about something so it's almost like curiosity is what makes a good hacker how do we make ourselves more curious by doing the things that we're more passionate about and how do we know if we're passionate about it the things that we're more curious about are telling us that's where our passion lies. So that's the closest I've been able to come so far to answer this question. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I recognize it's incomplete, but it's a starting point. Right. I, that's a good answer. And I'm going to tell you why it's a good answer. Because while you were speaking, then I just Googled the definition of curiosity. Okay. And the definition is a strong desire to know or to learn something. So that ties in with exactly what you've said. If you've got the, like your mindset then was like, I don't know if it could be taught or not, basically, but your mindset was, I'm going to go with the presumption that it can because you're passionate about this subject and you want to make it happen. And I just think there's an old saying from, from Henry Ford, he who says he can and he who says he can't are usually both right. And I think mm -hmm. that kind of epitomizes what you've just said there. So I don't think it's hippie in any way, shape or form. I think mindset is absolutely, uh, I just think it's not quite everything, but it's, it's not far off. I think it's absolutely huge. But 
Thank you, Matt. I think between us, mate, you especially, we the good job there on getting under the, the bonnet and under the skin of curiosity. But we'll move on to contrarian now, if you like, and you can break that down for us if that's it, if that's cool. Yeah, definitely. So the second one, I'm glad you used the word contrarian because that was actually the original word that I had been using. I've since been thinking about it as non-conforming. It's still a C in a way. I still got like the C's going through it. <laughs> but I have been moving away from the word contrarian as I've been further and further researching. And the reason is I, I still think contrarian is correct. The definition of contrarian is a, per, is a person who takes an opposing viewpoint or explores an opposing viewpoint. The word itself maybe can be problematic because in some contexts, that means the person who disagrees for the sake of disagreeing. And that person's just annoying. Like, I, that's not what I'm talking about. I hate people that are like that. I hate a strong word. I, I don't like interacting with people that are like that. And then sometimes contrarian means like rebel without a cause. I think that hackers are rebels, but rebels with a cause. They're not without a cause. And then I really started thinking about it. I was like, it's really about conformity. It's like resisting conformity. It's about resisting following a rule blindly. And so when we talk about this idea of contrarian, nonconformity, it's the idea that what hackers do is that they'll look at a system and they'll say, look, I know that I'm supposed to do X, but what if I did Y? And that's really powerful because most people don't do that. Most people, they find comfort in rules, even if they don't expressly state that. Uh, but I think that human beings in general, I think we're biologically and evolutionarily wired to want rules in our life. And the reason for rules is that they keep us safe, right? Going back to the tribal days, living in a cave, like following norms of your tribe are what kept you alive. And that's today persists. And so rules are helpful. Rules keep a society intact. They keep a society running well. But we need hackers to question those rules. And there are so many rules. Like every single one of us that is either you and I speaking or everyone else listening can think of at least one rule right now. We're like, that's just dumb. Like, why are we doing that? Have you ever been driving in the middle of a rural area? There's, and at night, there's no cars around at all. There's not even, there's nothing around you and you pull up at a stoplight and it's red. And there's, you haven't seen a car in 20 minutes. You can see down each direction. There's no headlights coming in either way. And you're like, here's a rule that says I should stop here. I'm gonna honor this rule because of the safety that a red light gives us. But I'm questioning it. This feels dumb in this context, right? Mm -hmm. And another one that I think is a great example is if you check bags on an airplane, which I, I don't know why people do that. <laughs> Carry on, man. We should all be carrying on. But if you check a bag and the cutoff is whatever, 50 pounds, and your bag is 51 pounds, and sorry, you can't, uh, you, you gotta, you gotta pay a fee or make the bag lighter. And you're like, okay, the rules, like the reason for that rule is very good. It's, it's about safety. Like a plane that's too heavy isn't gonna operate safely. A plane that's too heavy is gonna consume more fuel, which means your prices are gonna go up for the individual tickets. So that's a good idea of let's reduce weight on an aircraft but the implementation of the rule is stupid because they're like oh it's 51 pounds for a checked bag you can't do that and you're like all right let me just take the one pound out of the bag that i'm going to check and i'm going to put it in my bag that i'm going to carry onto the same aircraft what did we just accomplish here like literally nothing and so that's those are examples where like rules are dumb and not all rules are dumb but dumb rules can at times be dumb 
and what hackers do that makes them successful is they challenge assumptions. They look at rules and they're like, why does that rule exist? Why should it exist? They look at assumptions that say like a developer might make about when they build a system, how people might use it. So a great example there would be like, we in our security testing, we come across this as an exploitable issue very commonly where you might look at an input field such as your login page. And you're supposed to put the username in the username field and the password in the password field. But what if you put in a command or what if you put in an enormous string of data? What happens? And in a lot of cases, when you do those types of things, it if you input a command, sometimes the system will react to the command. Mm -hmm. Or if you put in a huge amount of data, sometimes the system will brick because it's just became flooded with data that actually responded to too much data. So these are mm -hmm. examples of where mm -hmm. the assumption of the developer is no one would do that, but that's what hackers are supposed to do is to challenge that assumption. Ted, thank you, man. It shows you that the rule making, the fact that we're still finding SQLI and buffer overflows and so on and so forth, it shows you that kind of sticking to the rules doesn't necessarily work. And danger going off subject here, Ted, but if you think the rules in the, in the US are bad, in central London now, we're charging people to drive in. And if your vehicle uh, has too many emissions, we're charging even more. And, and there's all sorts going on with the London mayor. But I, I won't get into that because I promise <laughs> I'll never talk about politics or anything like that. But, but no, thanks, mate. You, you, listen, you've broke that down really well. And one point I just want to pick up on, you mentioned about rules are there to keep us safe. And there was something I heard on a podcast recently. You can ask advice from like real close friends and family that probably really love you. And I don't always necessarily think that advice is the best when it comes in line with career progression and really dialing things up and really making a difference and pushing forward. Because if you're asking someone that's really close to you and really love you, they're probably going to tell you to take the option that's safe they're, if they're probably going to take the, to take the option that doesn't break the rules and keeps you in check and not necessarily the one that's going to make you the happiest and it's going to live out your dreams and stuff like that so i don't know if that kind of thing resonates with you but i heard that on a podcast recently and it really resonated with me i think it's important to push the boundaries and i think the world's you know full of advice you've just got to be careful who you take it from and stuff like that and really focus on your dreams and your goals does, does that make sense yeah, I agree with aspects of that, but I disagree with aspects of it too. So I think the idea that we should be careful who we take advice from is very true. I would highly recommend that. I would, everyone listening, you should probably question the advice you get from me. You're here listening, but like, maybe <laughs> what if I'm wrong? I might be wrong. And that would be a good thing, right? Is being skeptical is, uh, is a healthy thing. So we should be careful who we take advice from. There's like this trite, ism that goes around, right? That's you shouldn't take financial advice from someone that is a, maybe is poorer than you. I can't remember what it is, but there's, you want to be careful who you take certain types of advice from. Now, I don't think that the family versus not family loves you versus doesn't love you or love you yet dynamic. I don't think that is a proper distinction. It's more the way we should think about it is the experience this person has that I might be getting advice from the goal that I have and what does this person know about that goal and the bias that this person has, the bias that I have, and the perception that this person giving the advice might have of me. And now those are five different things that I just mentioned, but I think they're important things to consider because like when we talk about family, and this may have been what the point they were trying to make on the podcast you're talking about, you know, a lot of times with family, family members see a version of you that might not be your current version, right? They're like, maybe a parent still sees you as that 10 year old. 
and for better or for worse. A lot of parents, they may be proud of you in your professional achievements, but have really no idea what you actually do in your day-to-day -day work, what your actual strengths are, what your weaknesses are, et cetera. But you go to the person whose job you want in 10 years, and you go to that person, you ask them for advice. First of all, they don't have a bias, a historical bias of you. Second of all, they know exactly what strengths and weaknesses will bear in the role that you're asking them about. And so that's why I think maybe there's that distinction of family versus not family, but I, I don't think because they love you and they want you to take a safe approach is the heart of it. Yeah. Come so basically it's just taking a more strategic approach to where you get your advice from and thinking it through and looking at kind of the source of it really. Is that, would that be a fair summary? Yeah. And being open-minded too. Like <laughs> I was at a, an event, a networking event the other day and it was like an after hours thing. It was at a bar and like people were drinking and stuff. And I wasn't really drinking that particular evening. And so later in the night, I noticed like how drunk like everyone else was. And this one guy, he's blackout drunk and unsolicited. This guy just starts giving me like emotional relationship advice. And I was like, can you stop? <laughs> no part of me asked any aspect of this, but he's giving this advice as if, he, and by the way, I also had just met him like 14 seconds before this. And, and here's a guy where it's, I'm sure very well intended. He absolutely was going through something and he felt like I was the one who needed to hear what he had to hear, had to say, but it's, there's a great example where it's maybe I don't take advice from that guy, but I remained open to what he was saying, even though I was like, this guy's what the hell is happening right now? I still was like, let's hear him out. Like maybe there's something in here. And I didn't want to have my mind closed because having that open mind, you never know where the next inspiration might come from. It sounds like an interesting night, mate, getting advice on the love life and the emotions. Sounds like you had a, had a load of fun. But by the way, I've got loads of questions for you. And I, I keep my eye on the time. But every time you say something, it's sparking new questions in my mind. And you, you've just done it again. So you mentioned net, a networking event. And look, for people listening, like I think networking events uh, are absolutely amazing. I think building uh, relationships and having the ability to network it is so intrinsically linked to career growth. And uh, and again, for everyone listening, look, the, the level that you're at, Ted, please check Ted's profile out. Please check the, the TED talk out that he did, uh, the actual TED talk on, on, on ethical hacking in, in Munich. Please check that out. And long story short, the level you're at, you're still networking, you're still building relationships, you're still pushing forward. For you, how important is that side of, of things when it comes to, to your own career growth? I think that the only person that we should ever be competing with or comparing ourselves to is ourselves. And my goal is to be a better version of myself every day. Like I want to be better tomorrow than I am today. And by sustaining that, that interest in growth, that's, that's how you innate, or at least how I innately become receptive to areas where I can continue to grow and like the, the man that I want to grow into the entrepreneur, I want to grow into the, the person who creates content or writes books or gives talks that helps people like the per that person I want to grow into. And so that's, that to me is, has been really a defining part of my life for sure. And, but I think that is an embodiment of one of these hacker attributes too, is this like relentless pursuit of excellence, this relentless pursuit of like, how do I get better every day? 
And so I think you're almost, in a sense, introducing the next point, right, which is that hackers are committed because this idea that we have to continually get better, we have to uh, be a life learner, we have to, we're up against opposing forces that are themselves constantly getting better. The world around us is constantly changing. And that growth mindset, that, that interest in learning from other people, from finding new ideas, from developing skills, that's, that's what makes hackers great is that they don't, I'm sure in any group, there are people who just achieve a certain level of capability and they're like, I'm good. But I think what makes the great hackers great and even the good hackers great <laughs> is that interest in like constantly developing skills and learning more. And how many people do you see on LinkedIn who have this whole alphabet soup of certifications after their name? It's like that person is interested in getting like more and more types of uh, thing, like learning more things and being able to demonstrate it or the person who gets more degrees or the person who finds more and more CVEs or just the person who just reads more books. Like it doesn't have to be something that the world sees as long as it's for yourself constantly growing. And that's certainly been one of the things that I've been pushing towards. Definitely, Ted. And yeah, the, obviously the industry moves so quick that having that level of, of commitment, yes, it's great for sense of purpose. Yes, it's great for stimulation levels, but, but it's also, it is essentially in our space because let's like, say things just don't move at the pace of, say, a, a balance sheet, a P&L, a profit and loss in finance will be the same now as it is in five years and 10 years. Obviously, InfoSec just doesn't quite work like that. Things move really quick. So yeah, right. in full, full agreement kind of commitment's huge. So creative can you break the the fourth pillar down for us my friend yes so hackers are creative i would even say that hackers are some of the most creative people that i know and what's interesting about this is that sometimes if you talk to a hacker and you say are hackers creative and they're like you know if you're talking about their friends oh yeah all those people they're so creative oh, okay you're a hacker tell me about your creativity and they're like oh no i'm not creative but they are and then you go to the other group and you're like, hey, that guy over there said you're creative. What are you, is he creative? And they're like, oh, that guy's super creative. So it's like this kind of interesting contrast that hackers, not all the time, but sometimes don't recognize in themselves their own creativity. And when I say that hackers are creative, I'm not meaning necessarily that they are talented musically or artistically, although many of them in fact are. But it's more that hackers are able to find new, innovative, often unexpected approaches to different situations. And I don't know, there's one of the stories that I told on the stage in my TED Talk was about one of our hackers who, the, the short version of it is that he was able to predict private keys for uh, cryptocurrency wallets, which are effectively unpredictable. Like you can't, you just a human being cannot predict them, but he did it like hundreds of times. And the way he was able to predict them was because he looked at the error handling system and he looked at when the system fails, what can I glean from that error message? And then with that, with that information, he could predict keys. And that's super creative. Who would think to do that? Who would think to go look at the way a system fails in order to predict the unpredictable and now be able to potentially access the currency that's in a cryptocurrency wallet? That's, that's really creative. And even like the story I told before about exploit chaining, things like that, they're creative. Like how do you take two things and combine them? And so this is one of the real superpowers that hackers have is they are creative. 
that is definitely that, that crypto story is great. I think for for everyone listening, I, that that's definitely worth deep digging into because yeah, that that is massively, massively creative. Yeah, cool, very good. So just for people listening, I'm going to save some uh, time at the end for questions. So if you've got any questions at the end, obviously we're not quite there yet. I know, by the way, it's scary asking a question sometimes. So if anyone just wants to DM me the question, I can ask Ted. Or if anyone, if you're not connected to me, just quickly send me a connection request now. I'll keep refreshing my page. I'll accept you straight away and you can DM me. So any questions at all, either ask at the end or we'll do what I just described. But Ted, I just want to ask you about your TED Talk. Major achievement, by the way, mate. Like Seriously, mate. Well done, mate. That is a big deal. If I haven't heard your talk and I'm about to listen to it, how will it help my career growth? And for anyone that, that just hasn't heard it yet, what are they going to get from it? Yeah. Real quick before I answer that, I will tack on to what you just said about questions. So as people are thinking about whether you're going to be brave enough to ask a question, for any of you that have access to a United States shipping address that ask a question, I will send you a signed copy of my book. I can't send it outside of the U.S., but if you're in the U.S., happy to do that. So... What was the question? Oh, about my TED Talk, yes. <laughs> what would you get out of it? So here's what someone would get out of the, the TED Talk, is that you will, first of all, you're gonna learn the ideas that we just talked about, but you're going to learn how to look at your situation differently. And when you can look at a situation differently, that helps reveal new pathways to achieve your goals. For example, whatever your goal is, you wanna, Let's say you're listening to this because you want to break into cybersecurity, or maybe you're already in cybersecurity or what any field, any part of any, whatever you're in tech and you want to get a promotion or you want to get a raise. These ideas, like thinking like a hacker, what it will do for you. So if you take everything we've talked about today is how do you break a system or how do you make a system more secure, but you take those same mindset traits and you apply it to other objectives and similar things will happen. So. For example, I have a friend of mine who wanted to get promoted and he worked at this really large enterprise and the path to that promotion was largely clear, right? It was like, you're at this rank. I believe at the time he was a, yeah, he was a VP and to get to, he's a vice president to get to, to get to senior vice president, a few things had to happen. First of all, you had to be in that VP role for a really long time. I think it was like generally on average it was 10 or 15 years before someone tends to be eligible for that next rung. So that's one thing that needs to happen. The second thing that needs to happen is that someone, there's only so many of those SVP roles and it's not like they create new ones because there's so few of them. So someone needs to either be promoted, fired or retire. So like an opening needs to become available. And then the third thing is you then need to be, you need to win that job relative to all the other VPs vying for it. And my buddy's looking at that typical path and he's oh, obviously this is the career I've signed up for. I recognize that's what I'm going to have to do, but is there a better way? Is there another way? That was the question that he was asking himself. And he looked at this thing in his industry and he's, what if I did this? And so he basically created this sort of, it's hard to describe exactly what it is simply with the details of it don't matter, but he built like an industry trade association. Not exactly, but he built a thing for the industry. Let's put it that way. And then he evangelized and got everyone excited about it. And he's doing this, by the way, while he's still in his you know, VP role. And a few years, like two years later of doing that thing and he launched, it was very successful. People got excited about it. He then got recruited to go 
become the CTO. I don't think the title was actually CTO, but a CTO equivalent at an, another company, a competing enterprise. And so he basically leapfrogged the SVP rung. He just went to the one above it. And he did it in like decades less time. And now that's an exceptional story. I think that it's unusual that someone could do something like that. He obviously had all the right attributes. He's perfectly suited for that type of role. He earned it, is capable, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But it's because he thought differently about how you'd approach it. It's because he challenged those assumptions. Okay, well, you have to do it this way. And he said, well, what if I did it a different way? And my hope with the TED Talk is to give people that view about their own life. Can I apply a hacker mindset to whatever it is that I want to achieve? And, and my thesis is that if you do apply the hacker mindset, all of a sudden you'll see new ways that you can achieve your goal, maybe faster, maybe bigger, maybe more efficiently, and, and you'll get to that goal. Yeah, Ted, thank you. As you were speaking there, I was relating that to so many different things about people breaking into the industry as well, about just thinking out of the box, doing things different. Obviously, it's fiercely competitive at this end. But yeah, that was a listen, that was a great that was a great way of of breaking it down. And I think it does actually really move me on really nicely to the to the next question, which is how did you first break in what would you say is the best way to break in and have you got any, any tips that you can maybe pull from the the learnings that you've had in association with the ted talk in terms of can you break that down in terms of for people trying to break into to the industry we're talking about cybersecurity overall or ethical yeah. hacking in particular yeah we could we could do security overall yeah that would be okay. good okay the good news is that i think that is actually a slightly easier question and the reason <laughs> That I say that, not that it's easy, but that when we talk about an industry uh, as a whole, it, the industry needs literally everything that every other industry needs, right? So that includes not just hackers. We need leaders and mentors and executives. We need entrepreneurs. We need marketers. We need salespeople. We need finance professionals. We like whatever, we need it all. So someone who's say, someone who sells, I don't know, widgets, physical things, someone who sells shoes, and they're like, I want to sell security software. It's, okay, people need that. But it begets the question, okay, how do you take your relevant skills and demonstrate them in a way that now you can break into this industry? And this is where earlier we were talking about this idea of passion and curiosity and how they relate to each other. And if you want to get in this industry because you think it's cool, like you think that it's exciting and it's invigorating, like you'll find the way in. If you want to join this industry because the compensation is really good, but you don't really care about the work, like you're going to have a harder time. And so I think the first way to answer that question, which is maybe the least actionable, but is the most important, is make sure that you want to break in because you actually want to do this, like you care about it. Because if you care about it, you're going to find a way. Uh, I wasn't sure forever that I wanted to necessarily be in security, but I knew I wanted to be in tech. And the first stages of my career was not in tech. And, and it took me a long time to be able to transition because like any transition, people are always like, to be in our field, you need experience in our field. And you're like, well, I don't have experience. How do I do that? <laughs> you know, it's like chicken and the egg mm -hmm. kind of thing. And so I think the ways that we can break through that are, there's the obvious normal things that most people are going to recommend, right? Like network, 
with other people who are in the field, seek advice from mentors, get introductions, attend events, get a certification if you can. What I think is the most powerful way to enter any field is to just go do something that is relevant to that field. So like when people say, I want to become, I want to get a job as a hacker. And the first question is usually what degree should I get or what certification should I get? And my answer is if those are what you want to do, do those are good things. But if you want to know what's the thing that's going to compel most dramatically someone like at our company where we hire that kind of person, it's can we see that they have the right combination of attributes and they've demonstrated that they want to do it. Right. So like an example would be, let's say you're, you work in it and you want to become a hacker, go do a piece of security research. It doesn't even matter what the outcome of the research is. Like you might do this research and at the end you might fail to find a vulnerability, but you will have learned so much about the process and so much about yourself. And when you go apply to that job and you're in that interview and they're like, I see that you're in it, which is relevant, but this is, this job is for hacking. And you're like, let me tell you what I learned from the security research project that I did. They are listening. Now that recruiter is listening. And so that type of thing, whatever it is you're trying to enter, if you can just go do it, like this is entrepreneurial, what I'm suggesting, but go do a thing. And then that is the thing. Don't ask someone's permission. Go do it. Go do some research. Go, I'm saying security research doesn't mean go hack something. It could be like, make set a goal to go i'm going to go interview 50 cso's about these three questions and then i'm going to write a report on what i learned that's super relevant right that would really help if you're trying to get a job in security if you're not already in security so just go do something and then use the experience to learn and then the output of the experience as talking points when you do get to have those conversations yeah brilliant chad thank you for that mate and just a point I want to break. You, you mentioned passion, and I, I just think it, it is so true because this industry is going to get hard. It's going to get hard at all levels, junior, mid, senior. And and when things get tough, it's your passion, it's your values, your mission, your kind of real drive and purpose. That's what gets you through the tough times. Let's say that first point you started on, mate, I, th I think it's massive. And, yeah, th thanks for that, mate. It was great. So I'm going to try and then I say I'm just going to ask a couple more questions, Ted, and then I'm going to ask at least some time for the audience to to ask you some questions one question i always like to ask is learning material what's in your what's in your bookmarks at the minute or what learning material have you found most helpful for your own career progression over the years online learning material perhaps something related to, to, to red team and hacking there's two ways i would answer that so one is what's been most helpful to my career. And then the second would be what would be most helpful to specifically red teaming and hacking. The thing the I've read a lot of books that have really helped my career and most of them have to do with time. Like how do you make time for what matters? And some of the best ones that I could definitely recommend would be things like, there's a book, I think, I believe it's called make time. I think that's literally what it's called. I'd have to, I can send you this list afterwards just in case I'm slightly off on the titles, but make time. It's this book about like, how do you look at the way you spend time in your day and then prioritize the things that are most meaningfully going to 
impact your life, make whatever change you're looking for. Someone who's listening to a podcast like this might be interested in how you're going to change your career and that's hard to do. And so you got to make sure that you're allocating time towards it. Like you might be full-time employed somewhere. How do you have time to go find another job? Here's how you would think about making time for it. And there's another one called the one thing, and it's all about prioritization. And the premise of the book is essentially you, what's the one thing that you could do that would meaningfully make progress towards your goals and make the subsequent uh, priorities more likely to succeed. So those books, I really, I'd have to think about the whole list of them because there's a lot of them and my mind's going all over the place. But then in terms of security books, I think this is where I make a shameless plug for my own book. That's but, okay, man. Come on, that's cool. But that's, yeah, no, that's lame. That's lame of me. <laughs> No, but there's so many good security books that are out there that that I could recommend. I think what might make the most sense, though, is why don't I send you a list and you can distribute it to people so I can get the titles right. Yeah, definitely. I've just looked up. So uh, Make Time, is that by Jake Knapp, that one? Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, I Googled it. I cheated. And the one thing, Gary Keller? Yep, exactly. Yeah, cool. Okay, great idea to Mate, I think they'd be two great books for me. I think finding time and time management, I just think it's absolutely huge. I think the compound effect of not being able to manage your time properly, I think is absolutely ginormous. Definitely. I can see how that really relates to career progression. But has anyone at all got any questions? If you have, just raise your hand on the emojis. Anyone's got any questions at all? I've got a couple more, but I'm just going to wait a second in case anyone's got any. Oh, brilliant. Kerry, how are you doing? You got a question for Ted? I I do. Um been trying to pivot into the security field or, or the IT field. I have my A plus and I'm trying to get go to take my security plus this coming Monday. And of course, I only have six months experience in the IT world of break fix, putting the computers together and of course the older computers. And I can't seem to get my foot in the door. So my question is, I don't have the experience that these companies want. And, and where I live, I don't have that many opportunities for companies unless I were to go. I live in Texas and I'm about four hours away from the, the bigger cities and I would have to relocate, which I don't have that option. And I've been trying to figure out how to do remote stuff and that's hard. And so I'm just trying to figure out, and of course, I did hear that I haven't tried the option where he, he was talking about just try to do it and try to pick the people's brains and, and write up. I haven't cool. done so, that yet. Any, any thoughts, Ted? Yeah. First of all, thank you for being brave enough to ask a question. I'll definitely send you a book to Texas. Just DM me your address. Good on you for oh, that. Man, that's wicked, buddy. Yeah. So you're not alone, Carrie. That's the first thing I think you might want to take away from this question. Like, it might feel like you're alone in that you're like, I want to do a thing and I can't do a thing. And no one lets me do a thing. And the, the doors are closing in my face all the time. And that's just part of the process, right? You're trying to do a hard thing. You're trying to change your career. And that, by definition, is working against inertia. The first thing, first piece of advice I might give you is to embrace that, accept that. It's, of course doors are going to slam in my face. I'm doing a hard thing. So you should be proud of yourself. The door is slamming your face because you're doing hard things. So be proud of yourself for that. The second thing, that's, okay, great. I pat myself on the back. Thanks, Ted. Now what? <laughs> yeah, I gave you the, I outlined the idea a moment ago about just trying to do something and it does work. Trust me. There's a, 
I can actually introduce you if you'd like. Remind me this. I, I, I've been listening because I'm a member of InfoSec Live, and the guy that runs it, he's over in uh, the UK, and he's had a bunch of CISOs on. And when he has, they're, he's asking them all these questions, and they're over what I can do, all the questions. And mostly, so I'm, I still have to figure out that aspect by asking, but uh, yeah. I didn't mean to overshoot what you just said. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It sounds to me like what you've done is you've decided you want to change your career. So you've set your, have you set your target on a particular type of role that you're looking for or no? That's the only problem is I, I don't know what I want to be when I grow up. Okay. So me, okay. I'm glad I asked that question. That's where I would recommend that you start. Now, this doesn't mean that the role you're trying to pivot into is where you're going to spend the rest of your life. But if you don't know where you're going, you won't know how to get there. Yeah. So it is actually important that you identify the role that you're targeting. And, the re and here's the reason why. So let's say you, you want a role as a, a pen tester. That's going to be pretty different in terms of what you should get if you decide you want to be the boots on the ground person who does incident response. And these things are transferable, right? So what I would do if I was you is it, you're getting these certifications, you're, you're studying this, this change you want to go through. I would spend some time studying what are the different possibilities and then pick one and then explore that further before you even fully commit to the change, right? So let's say you want to become a pen tester. Okay, now read up on what is it to be a pen tester? How does one become a pen tester? Who are famous pen testers? What are talks I could watch from pen testers? And if you decide that's what you want to do, then you can reverse engineer the path of skills you have to develop to get to that. You're not, you, you can't have all skills, right? So just like becoming good at security isn't going to get you a security job. But if you become good at getting that first job as whatever it is that you want, let's say it's a security analyst, and then you start doing the job and you're like, I don't love this. And two years later, you're like, I'm glad I have the job, but it just, it's not for me then you can more easily pivot to a different type of security job. So narrowing focus is where I would begin if I was you. And that gives you something tangible that you can grab onto. And that's probably why the doors are closing because you're probably walking in to a lot of these interviews. And even if you are trying to sell yourself in the role, clarity on your purpose is probably not coming through because you probably don't yet have that clarity. So that would be the first thing that I would get. And then that will resonate with the people who can get you those positions. Cool. Is that helpful, Kerry? A little bit. The, the one thing that I have seen that I'm good at is tinkering with the computers and keeping them running. But I haven't found a place where I could, I haven't played, I have not found an employer that would, that's close by that wants me to, or I can, get hired for that okay okay Gary I think I think the thing to remember is it's going to be tough and I know firsthand you know just what an amazing career it is and it's that kind of aid age thing if it was easy everyone would be doing it I just think really take note to what Ted said today I think the kind of commitment yeah. and attitude mindset piece it all helps and put back to Ted's point earlier if you're genuinely passionate about it and you want it badly which it sounds like you do you will get there the only time that it's ever a problem is if you give up, if you keep going, you, you, you will get there, my bro. And I know it's tough. And I speak to juniors at the end of the market. And again, to pick on Ted's point, 
it's you are definitely not alone there is a lot of, of good people trying to break in and like i say my, my, my advice is stick with it try and stand out be very polite but very persistent people are very busy i know just from doing this podcast i have to hit people up five six seven times in an extremely polite and persistent way to keep good quality guests coming on week after week it's everyone's busy it's a busy space and try not to take things personally or anything like that i think just really keep going and really keep pushing forward and using the resources that are available to you okay my man all right Kerry, i'm just thank you okay buddy no no thanks for your question thanks for your question miguel i'm just going to get you up i think you were next my friend so i'm just going to get you up onto the stage miguel how you doing you got a question for ted hi yes thank you i uh, appreciate the time uh, I guess my question is more of like a, your opinion. If I'm at a current job doing help desk and let's say I want to move to another job, possibly another position or another field still in IT, but for example, networking or system administration, in your opinion, what do you think is better to tell the, my employer so that I have that as a leverage or not tell them to tell them before you've secured your next position yes generally uh, let me ask one more clarifying question actually before i answer that what level of trust and safety do you have with your manager good question <laughs> let's say low level i in that case i probably would not mention it until you secure a position i don't think you it's not the end of the world if you do tell them but some people, especially if, I don't know what the politics are like at your company, but some people might see that in a negative way. Oh, he's not committed or whatever. So I wouldn't probably do that. Now, if you had a great degree of trust with your manager and you said, I'm just, just not thriving here. I don't see my opportunity, upward mobility, whatever. How can I do that? Should I be looking elsewhere? Like those, those are conversations people should be able to have with their managers, with their mentors. Um, unfortunately, that's not always the case. Uh, so if there's not, if you're, if you don't feel safe there and in that, with having that type of conversation, then maybe don't pursue the role. And then once you do get another position, then you can go back to them and say, I've been offered this other position and I would like to stay here, but if I was going to stay, I would need these types of things. And people will generally, if they want to keep you, they will try to match in some way. And so that's probably how I would play it if I was you but it really comes down to that degree of safety and trust that you have. Yeah, I think Miguel, just to add for that, the, the general norm across all the recruitment placements I've made over the years uh, is that you would err on the, on the side of caution. And it, it, there are occasions, like Tess said, um, and I have had it before where candidates that are about to move, guys and girls that are about to move have been really open with the line manager or the founder, but it, is, it most definitely isn't the norm. And I think it, it, if you're not sure if that relationship is kind of 100% okay for you to do that, uh, me personally, I, I would lean towards erring on the side of caution, my friend. Yeah, sounds good. Cool. Any Anything else, Miguel? Has that helped out? Yeah, that helped. Thanks so much, guys. Cool. Cool. No, no worries, my friend. No worries. Danny, I'm just going to get you you up, my friend. Thanks for this, Ted, by the way. This is a lot of questions this evening, so I do appreciate your time, buddy. Thank you, Ted. Totally. Danny, yeah, you're up, man. Question for Ted? Yeah, thanks for and, well, picking me, too. I had a quick question. So I finished school back in May, 
and I did most of my education online because I caretake for my stepdad. He's a Vietnam vet and a hundred percent disabled. So I didn't really get really much experience hands-on. Everything was all online. And I have some IT experience like throughout my life. I've done a lot of IT for like vets, showing them like how to stay safe with Facebook scams, teaching them about AI and just like baby, basically showing like baby boomers how to protect themselves because there's been a lot more scams and criminal activity going on during COVID. I live in the Bay Area and the North Bay Area. And I was just curious, do you guys know of any groups, organizations around? Because every time I talk to people about like cybersecurity or about hacking or pen testing, they freak out or think I'm some type of criminal. I go on places like on Meetup and try and go to groups and try and listen in to what, like, what they talk about. But I just hear about threats that are going on in the industry, but not really much about pen testing or how to do things. And... I also watch a lot of YouTube videos from all these cybersecurity specialists that have been like creating content and I've been studying for my network plus as well. But after a while, I just, I don't know, it's, I guess it's hard to stay motivated when you're doing everything just online and by yourself. And I'm the type of person that's just used to getting a job and just learning on the job because I did a lot of trade jobs over the years, but I was wondering what would your recommendation be in that case? So let me clarify. It sounded like maybe there are a few questions in there. Is the question that you're asking how to take, given your current situation, how should you get a security job? Or are you asking more about how do you find like the hacker community in the Bay Area? Or is it, here's a question about how to stay motivated or something else? A little bit of all that, but mostly how to find communities because I feel like they're all hidden. I even went on, what was it, the DEF CON website and found out they have a discord and i guess they have little separate discords for specific yeah. states as well but yeah it's just hard finding like people i could talk to because i'm i feel like i'm just like doing it on my own which i know is like common but at the same time like you can only do it for so long and yeah. there's so many tools in cybersecurity, and it's like how do you find the right videos to learn what you need to know if it's the right yeah, video, yeah. if these guys yeah. actually have any credibility too like cybersecurity is so broad so it could go so many directions and the last thing i want is just watch a video and kind of end up going a different direction to where i want to be yeah okay so the heart of the question being how do you find community well you were starting in the right place defcon is like the heart of where you're going to find these types of people i would join that discord if, if you can it sounded like maybe you had some challenges with joining it but that is definitely a good place there are events i don't know the Bay Area, even though I live in California, I don't know like the events in the Bay Area as intimately as other places, but here's how I would find them. The first thing is attend any of the B-sides that happen. There's for sure B-sides San Francisco. I'm sure there are more. If you're not familiar with that, B-sides is it's like regional hacker conferences, and they're usually smaller and more intimate, and you're going to find the people you're looking for at something like that. Gotcha. Besides San Francisco is in like April, I think. So you got on one hand that feels far away, many months, but on the other hand, it's, it's going to be here for you at the holidays, end of year stuff. And then all of a sudden it's April. I'm sure there are others around that area, but if I was not knowing where to look, I would do the first thing that you did already, which is I would like research DEF CON. What are they talking about? I would go follow the different social media feeds, probably on Twitter or, or on X for 
DEFCON for all the different villages. So like we run IoT Village and we do events periodically in different places, including San Francisco. The, but all the, there's, we're not the only village. There's maybe like 20 or something villages. I would do that. I would research even just literally the term that you're looking for, right? Like ethical hacker meetup group, San Francisco. <laughs> I don't know what's going to come up when you search in that term, but that's going to start taking you down those rabbit holes. And then, so I would do that between now and April. And then when April rolls around, definitely go to B-Sides and tell everyone there that you're looking for community and people will tell you where, what else you should be doing. And the world will open up for you after that. Gotcha. Cool. Thanks. Is that helpful, Danny? Yeah. Mm. Really appreciate cool. it. Just to add to that as well, and I know this will take a bit of confidence to build up, but I would seriously consider documenting your whole journey online as well. If you go to B-Sides, if you go to DEF CON, like post pictures on LinkedIn as you progress, like really celebrate the small wins online. Because what that's going to do is that's going to make your, that's going to A, allow you to meet people. People are going to connect with you. You're going to naturally build an, an online community in and around LinkedIn, but also you're going to effectively add strength and depth to your resume and your profile and do what I like to call make your resume 3D. A, it's going to help you build the community that you, that you want and you want to develop and so you don't feel isolated. So that's the first thing. The second thing is, it's going to help when it comes to getting interviews and stuff later down the line and, and actually getting your career really rocking and rolling. Gotcha. Yeah, I'm still trying to get used to the whole LinkedIn thing because I didn't start using it until I went to school. And I feel weird about just showing off all the stuff I do because it, I don't know, it feels cringe to me, but yeah, I know it's good. Yeah, it's good. No, do, it to, do it to help others and just start slowly. You might just post once a month or a couple of times a month, or you might just start liking people's stuff, or you might even start just by commenting on people's stuff and kind of gradually exercise that muscle and work your way up. Gotcha. I mean, and Danny, if that's cringe, then I'm cringe because yeah, me too. <laughs> you're listening to me on a LinkedIn live. So what are yeah, we? I know <laughs> it's, it's, it's a new world that we live in. I'm so used to working around like older guys that are just like, they look down at the techies and because there's so many people that aren't learning how to work with their hands and no trades. It's, it's interesting. Cause like, I guess like in the nineties, there were too many people in trades and not enough people in tech. And nowadays there's too many people in tech and not enough in trades. Yeah. As you get more senior there, Danny, there's not enough people in tech either. There's a shortage at the is at the top, top end. So you'll get there, my friend. And when you get there, you're you're in a prime spot. So you'll be good, mate. You'll be good. Gotcha. Oh, I guess one last possible question if you guys can answer it. So with the release of AI nowadays, because I, I try and stay on top of it as much as possible. What do you think the consequences of it will be in the near future? since it's like with this war in Israel progressing too, because there's a lot of like misinformation and stuff like that. What are your opinions on that subject? I'll give you a short, brief answer to that because that is probably its own webinar discussion. And we're already over time. I want to be respectful of everyone's time. I know we got two more questions. So I'll answer this really quickly and then hopefully we can bang out the last two before I have to leave. But the short answer is that and the way we should think about AI is the way we should think about really any emerging tech. Because what I'm about to say is true when bring your own device to work became a thing. It was true when cloud became a thing. It was true when blockchain became a thing. And it's that the fundamental principles with how we keep systems secure, those principles remain the same as they have been for decades. 
And so even though the tech is new, how we should think about securing it is not. It's the exact same principles we should be applying. The implementation of those principles is what's a little bit different. So like artificial intelligence, large language models, things of that nature, of course, they're a little bit different. I think that AI is going to change certain attack techniques and it's going to change certain defense techniques. But these are all good things that are going to adapt the world towards, towards better, towards more secure systems while also being able to adopt technology that delivers business benefit. Right on. Thanks, Ted. Thanks for your questions, Danny. Right, let's say last two guys, and thank you, thank you for your questions. I'm just going to get uh, Simar Simala up. How you doing, my friend? You have a question for Ted. Hi everyone. Hi Thomas. Hi Ted. Just a quick question to Ted. What advice or advices would you give to someone who is looking to start um, giving talks uh, in conferences? And when I say conferences, I'm not talking about DevCon or Black Hat. I'm talking about like local conferences. I'm uh, I'm living in Scotland, it's a small country, so we have a couple of conferences and I was just thinking to start giving talks around hacking, pen testing. And one trend that I actually noticed among speakers is everyone is looks like like an established member of the community. And I'm just <laughs> just a hacker, just a nobody basically in the com community. I'm just like to hear your, your thoughts and your opinion and any advice you could, you could give. Sure. Baked into your question were a few things about how you talk about yourself that I would encourage you to change. You're not just a hacker, right? You have something worthy to share. And I don't know what that thing is. You and I are just meeting each other right now, but there the work that you do matters. And one of the things I've noticed, and sorry, I didn't mean that to sound scoldy. It wasn't scolding. I was actually trying to encourage you. <laughs> but I think that sometimes we like, we as people, we limit ourselves. Even the way you started the question, you were like, look, I'm not talking about the big conferences. And so why not? I think you could speak at the big conferences. Why not? Like, that's how we should be thinking about our goals is like, our goals are only ever going to be as big as we allow them to be. That's one of the things I work on with myself all the time. I like write down a goal and then I'm like, damn, dude, that's not, is that big enough? Is it scary enough? Like your goal's not big enough until you're like, I don't even, I don't think that's possible. And then you're like, all right, now let's challenge whether I think that's not possible or not. So I know you weren't asking for some self-help coaching right now, but first of all, I think having confidence in the work that you're doing, the contributions you're making, the level of aspirations that you can have, think big is what I'm getting at, and go for it. And I will support that with explaining how I got into speaking because the first time I gave a talk, nobody had any idea who I was. And quite frankly, I had no business being on that stage. And the reason that I gave my first talk was because I had just entered the security field and I, I wanted to give a talk or excuse me, I didn't want to give a talk. I had just entered the field and I wanted to understand the principles better. And so I had this like wild idea that was in hindsight, almost reckless. That was like, well, I have this mentor who's always taught me that like the best way to learn something is to teach it. I was like, so why don't I try to teach security principles to someone else on a stage? Because then I'll really have to learn it. I'll force myself to know, to have to know this thing. And, and somehow, so I wrote this, I submitted to a call for papers and I got accepted. And then I was like, 
well, shit, <laughs> now what? Now I have to go give this talk. And it was an amazing experience because then I had to go learn these ideas and I had to simplify them. And what's the point that I'm trying to convey and the audience who's listening, what's the problem they're trying to solve that I can solve for them? So it's like a really clarifying experience to go through that. So those are some of the abstract responses to your question. Like first, set bigger goals and believe more in yourself. Second, go apply. And then third, now how do you actually do that? What would the advice be? I have written a blog that I can send to you that the blog is specifically written about how to get on a, on a TED stage, or at least like how I did it. Cause a lot of people ask me that after I gave my TED talk, like, how did you do that? And so I was like, I keep telling people this, why don't I write it down? So I wrote it in a blog, but I think the core principles are the same. And even if you're not trying to give a TED talk, you're trying to speak at your local security conference, it's still the same, right? It's understand your audience, understand what they need, develop an application for that, apply to that conference in a way that speaks to the problems the audience has in the context of the talk that you're going to give and the credibility that you have. So I don't know how long you've been a pen tester, but if you've been a pen tester more than six months, you've probably done some projects that are, that could actually teach something to someone in a security conference. And so just teaching what you like we in security, especially in the hacker community, we have so much imposter syndrome and so much, I don't know more than that person over there knows a lot more than I do. Who am I to be on a stage? I, I still feel that way. I feel that way all the time. And what's that? Imposter syndrome. Yeah. I have that all the time. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a natural thing, right? And when we feel that imposter syndrome, it's a good thing because it's telling us that we're growth-oriented people, right? Because we, we see all the development that we can still have. We just have to recognize it for what it is, that, that growth mindset, and not interpret it as a reason to not do something because that's the fear speaking. And the fear is telling you that, hey, this might be something worth exploring. Like we have to understand fear in its right context, right? Like we shouldn't do things that are going to literally kill us mortally, <laughs> but like getting on a stage, isn't going to do that. And so push through that fear. And I would definitely encourage you to do it. I'll send you the, the blog that I wrote. And if I can help you develop a application that you're looking for to respond to a call for papers, I would be happy to do that. Right. Thanks very much for the time. Thank you. And by, by the way, so Ted, I think we'll call, call it time on questions, but guys, but thank you so much, Ted. I promise you. I promised you an hour and we've been an hour and a half. I normally overrun, but not this much. And I've had a DM come through now. I'm, I listened to your Hacker Mindset podcast with Ted Harrington. It was a great talk, very informative. I've had another one just come through. Hi, Thomas. Thank you for the talk with Ted. It was eye-opening. Mate, thank you so much, mate. I, I love the way you tied it all back into mind piece there, mindset there again. And it was, just, mate, thank you so much for your time, buddy. I know that you're... Uh, very busy man so i know the listeners appreciate it and i for one really appreciate it buddy is there any final thoughts to, to leave us with and thanks once again yeah th thank you for having me thomas thank all of you for attending this and i'm i'm impressed that almost everyone is still here like an hour and a half <laughs> later so maybe this is helpful yeah i would leave you guys with two things so first of all those of you who spoke up and asked the question dm me i i will i am serious if i if you're in the u.s i will send you a book Scotland, I'll have to, I can't send you a book, but I'll, maybe I'll, maybe I have to go to Scotland and have some scotch with you. Hey, come but, and see um, me, come and see me. We'll, we'll go and drop it off and have a beer up there. Yeah, I need to bring it in person. That's <laughs> what we're learning out of this conversation. But yeah, so that's the first thing. DM me uh, or DM Thomas, that's fine too. And I'll get those 
books out to you. And then the second thing is stay in touch. If you are interested in maybe coming to work at our company or you are you work at a company that needs to hire a company like ours, you need you want to hire me to come speak at, at a conference, you know, just reach me at tedharrington.com. You obviously see me on LinkedIn here, so that works too. But either way, stay in touch and let me help you however I can. Yeah, brilliant, Ted. Th thank you. Mate, definitely plug the book. What, can you just give the listeners the title of the book before you go, my friend? The book is called Hackable, How to Do Application Security Right. Brilliant. Mate, thanks again. Really, honestly, mate, really do appreciate it. And I really appreciate you staying longer and answering all the questions, mate. That was mega. And you've, you've set a record on the Cybersecurity Recruiter podcast for, for questions asked as well. So congrats. <laughs> awesome. Thank you, guys. Yeah, thanks. See you later, everyone. Cheers. Cheers, guys and girls.